He is coming back, you know that. What a day that will be. It's good to be here with you this morning. Privileged to be in this pulpit. I appreciate Pastor Matt, his ministry, and his friendship. Let's begin our time in prayer. Heavenly Father, as we come to your word, I pray that you would accomplish your purposes by your grace for your glory. Thank you that you've given to us your word and you've given us your Holy Spirit that we might understand your word and that we might live in response to it. I just pray that you would be honored. Believers would be encouraged and challenged, and those who have not come to believe might have their eyes open to the truth, that they would respond to the gospel. In Christ's name, amen. Well, it is good to be with you here this morning, and you might be asking, in light of the fact that you just had a missions conference, and a man who spoke on the Great Commission, at least in part, last week, why I would be speaking on the Great Commission again. But I'm going to. And I did listen to Dave last week. I, was in, I live in Colorado. I was listening to his messages. He, he reminded us we need to be realistic about the task, be confident in the message, be flexible to step out of your comfort zone and be obedient. And God will fulfill the task. But I'm going to walk you down a little bit of a different road because I want to look very specifically at elements of the Great Commission on one hand, relate to you individually, if you're a believer. Now, if you're a believer, that means you're a Christian, right? If you're a Christian, that means you're a disciple. Dave tried to emphasize that last week. A disciple. There's not a Christian who just lives kind of how they want and a disciple who lives obediently. There is a Christian who is a disciple who lives in submission to the Lord. It's important to understand that. And so I'll be speaking specifically to those of you who are disciples of Christ. The Great Commission, you know, we just talked about, we set our eyes upon our Lord. Our Lord, in some of the very last instructions he gave to his disciples, would be found in this Great Commission in Matthew 28, 18 to 20, where it says, And Jesus came up and spoke to them and saying, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I commanded you, and lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. And so the question is, what does this actually look like? If you're a disciple here, what does this look like in your life today as you walk out of this room Tomorrow morning when you wake up, what does it look like in the lives of our Lord's disciples? Well, he begins with a reminder in verse 18 when he says, all authority has been given to me in heaven on earth. That's Christ. All authority is in Christ, right? And, and brothers and sisters in Christ, it is important for us to know that when we come to Christ, we repent of our sin and we believe in the gospel, it is vital that we understand that we're no longer our own. Jeremy, if you've come to Christ, you're no longer your own. It, it, your decisions are not your own decisions anymore. Your priorities are not your own priorities anymore. 
In Acts chapter 20, verse 28, it says, Be on guard for yourselves and for all the flock among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. This is Paul speaking to the Ephesian elders. He says, To shepherd the church of God, which Christ purchased with his own blood. In, in Ephesians chapter 1, in verse 14, it says that we are God's own possession to the praise of his glory. In 1 Corinthians 6, 20, it says, You have been bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body. In Ephesians, or in Titus chapter 2, verse 14, it says, He gave himself up for us to redeem us from every lawless deed and to purify for himself a people for his own possession, zealous for good deeds. 1 Peter 2.9, you're a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession. Why? So that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who calls you out of darkness into his marvelous light. I think it's very sad to say that is, it's my opinion, it's my observation that most who call themselves Christians actually seldom, if ever, personally share the gospel with another person. And seldom do those who name the name of Christ do that with any regularity. How can that be? How can that be? You know, it's interesting. Who, who is Jesus giving this command to, the instructions to? To his disciples. So it's important to understand that this can only be fulfilled, not by people who call themselves Christians, this can only be fulfilled by those who are disciples. They are Christians. They are those who have come to understand who Christ is, his right place, his substitutionary death. The fact that when we come to Christ, we are no longer our own, we are his. And, and so today, i got to try to make things simple. I was a youth pastor for about 25 years. It was helpful to keep things basic. And I learned it's helped to keep basic not only for young people, but for older people. Jesus used two words, two words that define discipleship. So this morning, okay, if you're, you, you know, memory is a hard part, get two words. At the very least, take these two words with you. Talked to him a little bit yesterday with the men. The words Jesus used were follow me. Follow me. In Matthew 4, verses 18 to 20, Jesus was walking by the Sea of Galilee. He saw two brothers, Simon, who was called Peter, and Andrew's brother, casting net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And Jesus said to them, Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Immediately they left their nets and followed him. In Mark chapter 2, verses 13 and 14, he went out again by the seashore, and all the people were coming to him, and he was teaching them. And he passed by, he saw Levi, the son of Alphaeus, sitting in the tax booth. And he said to him, follow me. And he got up and followed him. In John 1.43, the next day he purposed to go into Galilee. He found Philip. Jesus said to him, follow me. In Luke 9.23, Jesus was saying to them all, 
If anyone wishes to come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. Matthew chapter 8, verses 18 and following. Now Jesus saw a crowd around him. He gave orders to depart to the other side of the sea. Then a scribe came and said to him, Teacher, I will follow you wherever you go. Jesus said to him, The foxes have holes and the birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. Another of the disciples said to him, Lord, permit me first to go and bury my father. But Jesus said to him, Follow me and let the dead bury their own dead. His point was he was going to wait until his father died and get his inheritance and do all the things he was going to do. And Jesus says two words. Follow me. Stop making excuses. Stop justifying a life that's not consistent with what I've told you. In Matthew 19, verse 16 to 21, someone came to Jesus and said, Teacher, what good thing shall I do that I may obtain eternal life? Jesus said to him, Why are you asking me about what is good? There's only one who is good. But if you wish to enter into life, keep the commandments. Then he said to Jesus, Which ones? Jesus said, You shall not commit murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness. Honor your father and mother, and you shall love your neighbor as yourself. The young man said to Jesus, all these things I've kept, what am I still lacking? Remember what Jesus said to him? If you wish to be complete, go and sell your possessions and give them to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven and come follow me. Ooh, okay, now, you guys, here's the deal. Money is not evil. The love of money is evil, right? He's not saying you can't have any money. He's saying, if your money is more important to you than God, you have a problem. You cannot have any competing loves if you're going to follow Jesus. And it can be as simple as video games that absorb all of your time or a job that you have that absorbs all your time, distractions of life that keep you from following Jesus. We talked about the great commandment yesterday. The great commandment is that we love the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. You understand what that means? That our love for God is a supreme love with no competing loves. A supreme love with no competing love. You love God more than your spouse. You love God more than your children. You love God more than your parents. You love God more than you love your own life. Jesus said, follow me. Pastor Matt was preaching on this passage a couple of weeks ago in John 21. In verses 18 to 22, it says, Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were younger, you used to gird yourself and walk wherever you wished. But when you grow old, he's speaking to Peter, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will gird you and bring you where you do not wish to go. He said this, signifying what kind of death he would glorify God. And when he had spoken this, he said to him, follow me. Think of this, okay? You know, because we, we, for a long time, the churches, I'm not saying this church, but churches generally have given a false gospel. You want to go to heaven? Just ask Jesus into your heart. That's not the gospel. That is not the gospel. The gospel is you're an enemy of God. You are separated 
from God because he's a righteous and holy God and you're willfully sinful. You will never be good enough. And so God in his grace sent his own beloved son to be treated the way I should be treated, to be judged the way I should be judged so that I could be reconciled to God. There's nothing fluffy about that. The sacrifice of perfect God to justify sinful man. It's an amazing picture. And you guys, when, when we talk about following Jesus, we're not talking about, God, give me the life I want. God, give me, give me, give, give me heaven. Give me a good family. Give me this. Give me. We're talking about a person who says, I am willing to follow you wherever you take me for the cause of the gospel. For the cause of the gospel. You guys, the church doesn't really want to hear that message today. But did you hear what Jesus said to Peter? I mean, by the way, you're going to die on a cross. It's going to be how your life ends. It's going to be really hard. People are going to take you where you don't want to go. Then he says, follow me. Follow me. And you remember Peter. You know, it's like, uh, what about John? going to happen to him. Jesus says, that's not your issue. You follow me. God will take us all down different roads, folks. Different roads, different circumstances, different joys, different heartaches, but he's very intentional with the road that he takes us down. He's very intentional. John 8, 12, Jesus again spoke to them saying, I am the light of the world. He who follows me, will not walk in the darkness, but will have the light of life. In John 10, 27, Jesus says, my sheep, my sheep hear my voice and they know me and they follow me. That's the evidence of being a biblical Christian. In John 12, 26, he says, if anyone serves me, he must follow me. And where I am, there my servant will be also. If anyone serves me, the, the father will honor him. Did you guys, those two words, follow me, here's what they imply. They imply some huge theological concepts. You know, when you're living your own life and your own sin, walking down the road, and you come to understand the truth of the gospel and your own sin, and you turn to Jesus, that's a picture of repentance, right? You're going your own way, and then you turn and you see the provision of Christ for your salvation. It implies faith, right? I mean, if I told you today, I want you to follow me for the next week, you'd be going, I don't even know you. There's no way I'm going to follow you. Why? Because that's kind of risky business, right? But you guys, when we become Christians, disciples, that's the decision we make. I'm going to follow him. And it's a picture of faith. It's a picture of belief. I have confidence who Christ is. And I will trust him on whatever road he takes me down. It's a picture of lordship. That is submission, right? Jesus is not like the GPS. You know, you turn it on, you follow the instructions when you want them, then just shut her off. You know? 
Jesus wants us to follow him all the time, every moment of every day. That's the life of a disciple. In 1 John chapter 2, verse 6, it says, The one who says he abides in him ought himself to walk in the same manner as he walked. If you say you abide in Christ, your objective in life is to walk exactly as your Lord Jesus Christ walked. Every moment of every day. Jesus says in John 8, 31, to the Jews who had believed in him, if you continue in my word, then you are truly disciples of mine. In John 13, 35, by this all men will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. And in John 15, 8, my father is glorified by this, that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. Bearing much fruit, by the way, does not take a magnifying glass. Okay? And let me just emphasize, when we talk about bearing fruit, let me know do your farmers out here. I don't know if you have orchards out here. I know you have a lot of cornfields. You guys, like for a tree to bear fruit, it's going to be a complicated science lesson. Okay? That tree is not moaning and groaning out in the fields trying to pop out some fruit. That tree is simply abiding in the soil, drawing the nutrients, nutrients from the sky and water, and it naturally produces fruit. For a person who's in Christ, as you abide in Christ, John 15, as you grow in your walk with your, the Lord, as you grow in your obedience, the fruit will be the result. You're not focusing on the fruit. You're focusing on abiding in Christ, growing in Christ, loving Christ, and then serving Christ flows from that. Well, if you're a disciple, then, because we're going to get into sharing the gospel here pretty quick, but if you're a disciple, that means that an unbeliever or a believer could watch your life, both here, outside of here, on the job, in your home, and they could follow your example, and they would be demonstrating faithfulness to Christ, right? The Apostle Paul said in 1 Corinthians 11, be imitators of me just as I also am of Christ. So the idea is that as a disciple, you're walking, not perfectly, but your intent is very clear that you're walking faithfully with the Lord so that other people who watch you can see and learn and understand what it looks like to be a godly person, a person who represents the Lord well. A person who loves their spouse well, loves their kid, whatever context you're in. As disciples, we want to be walking in a manner that other people can follow and they will be honoring to Christ. And so if you're a disciple of Christ, okay, if you're the person you've repented and believed the gospel, it's your commitment in life now that you no longer own your life, to follow Christ, this commission is for you. It's for you. And so as, as we go on, we need to understand that the commission says, go therefore and make disciples of all of the nations. Go therefore and make disciples of all of the nations. Now, in order to make disciples, that begins with telling people the gospel. They have to hear the gospel. I, I've heard on many, many, many occasions, people who profess Christ say, that's not really my personality. And so I just show them the gospel 
by my life. I just show them the gospel by my life. To which my response is, this is going to be harsh. Then they're all going to go to hell. Because if all they have to look at is your life, but they don't hear the message of the gospel, how to come to Christ, then they cannot be saved. Jesus came proclaiming a message to a lost world, and the world hated him. And he gives us the same message to proclaim. And and it's true that we need to live out the gospel. That's true. You have to be an example that others can follow. But folks, we have to open our mouths and tell people the gospel. In Acts 1.8, it says, You'll receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be my witnesses both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and even to the remotest part of the earth. Okay, so let's be fair here. You guys, how many of you are a little intimidated about sharing the gospel? Well, you know, it can be pretty uncomfortable. And and the Lord's encouragement is, listen, if you're his disciple, he's given to you his Holy Spirit to indwell you so that you will have the power that you need. Because the truth is, guys, none of us have what we need. We just don't. But he gives the Holy Spirit, and he gives us the power of the Holy Spirit. And he says, as a result of that, now we can communicate the truth of the gospel. And it's, it's really not you winning people to Christ. You ever hear somebody say, ah, I won 12 people to the Lord this last week. It's like, you didn't win anybody. The only one that opens blind eyes is Jesus for the work of the Spirit. We just share the message. We share the message. Only God can ultimately do the work. In 2 Corinthians 5, 18 to 20, it says, Now all these things are from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation, namely that God was in Christ, reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them. And he has committed to us, he's committed to us the word of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ as though God were making an appeal through us. We beg you on behalf of Christ to be reconciled to God. So what he's saying is, listen, when I saved you, I didn't save you just so you go to heaven. Saved you so that you'd be my representatives on earth, so that you would carry the message of the gospel to the lost. You would be my ambassador. That is a huge charge to the disciples of Christ. Now, how does that work out? So I want to talk to you about some basic ways this works out because I I don't think it's as complicated as we sometimes think, okay, sharing the gospel. How many of you know other people? Told you. Okay. So here's the deal. You guys, I'm not opposed to planning opportunities for evangelism. Like that Thanksgiving dinner, what a great way to minister to people in need. What a great way. Having international students into your home, having lunch, open the door for the gospel. I think those are great opportunities. But I would also say that I think sometimes we miss so many opportunities because when we wake up in the morning, we think about our day. So we think about it. So tomorrow morning, when you wake up, I don't know what you have on your, your schedule. You know, you, you, you wake up in the morning and, you, you know, I've got to do some work or I'm going to school. And you have these things that are on your schedule. We think about those things on our schedule. I think oftentimes we don't think about those in relationship to God's schedule for us. So let's say I have a meeting with somebody. I'm going to be driving back to Colorado, Lord willing, tomorrow morning, right? Well, you know what? I mean, I'm going to stop for gas probably. I mean, that could be an opportunity, right? 
I mean, I, I don't know. That it could be an opportunity for ministry. You have business appointments tomorrow? You have somebody coming out to your house to, uh, you know, fix something in the house or whatever? Could those be divine opportunities? I mean, I, we know that God is very intentional, right? God is very intentional. So don't you think that every day of your life as a disciple of Christ, that every day of your life that God has spiritual opportunities planned for you? Because they abound. People are everywhere. And, and you guys, the thing is, you know, Paul, when in, in Philippians 1, when he was in jail, it's interesting because he said these words. My circumstances have turned out for the greater progress of the gospel. Hmm, he was in jail. And you know, you think about that, and when you believe that God is truly intentional in your life, you have to know that the circumstances in your life are intended for eternal purposes. But I think a lot of times, it's not that we're intentional, that we just refuse to do it. We just don't think about it. And so we miss opportunities. And so let me give some illustrations. So, so let's suppose uh, you get in a fender bender accident. Well, I mean, that's frustrating, right? Especially if it's your fault. And it's going to create some inconvenience in your life. And so that can be quite frustrating. But you know, the other side of that, you're going to meet somebody you didn't want to meet. You're going to have a conversation. I mean, could that not be a divine opportunity for the gospel? We call it an accident, but maybe it's an opportunity for the gospel. Or, you know, when the house has problems or whatever, you got to call somebody in to, to do some work. I mean, is that not... You know, you say, well, why did this happen? This, you know, now we've got to deal with this. It could be money. It's like, well, you know, maybe that's God's intentional design to bring people to your house that need to hear about the Lord. Or how about medical things? You know, you get that diagnosis that you didn't want to hear. And now you're going to be seeing doctors, technicians, going to pharmacies, all kinds of people you didn't want to meet. But you know what? Is God intentional? Was this a mistake that happened to you? You guys, you're going to meet people you wouldn't have otherwise met. And you're going to have opportunities for ministry. I, I've often talked to folks who are in the hospital who are dying. They're terminal. And if they're able to still think and Communicate, I'll tell them, listen, the hard road, but I want you to know that those nurses and doctors that are walking in to take care of you, custodians coming to clean your room, technicians, they may be in way worse condition than you because they don't have the hope of the gospel. What better way to leave this life than telling somebody the hope of the gospel? There's a lady I know in, in Dallas. She's on hospice. She's been on hospice now for about four months. Her life has been years and years of intense suffering, intense suffering. 
and I was talking to her on the phone a couple of weeks ago, and uh, she said to me, because I mean, she's just waiting, right? There are people taking care of her, and, and she said to me, you know, Rocky, the Lord could have taken me quickly, but you realize how many opportunities for ministry I would have missed out on. Days of suffering, opportunities for nurses and helpers to hear the gospel. That lady's been faithful with the gospel. I just want you to know that the opportunities abound, and they're just in normal, everyday life. You don't have to fabricate them. You have to create them. You don't have to be clever. You just, if you wake up in the morning as a disciple of Christ and say, God, this is what I have on my schedule today, but I'm not sure what all you have on my schedule. God, would you please help me to see people like that you see them? Help me to see my circumstances as opportunities for the gospel. Help me to have the courage to open my mouth. And you guys, we all fail at times, okay? But don't let that stop you. Say, God, forgive me. Help me to be more alert. Help me to have the courage to do the work that you have me here to do. See, the Great Commission, it, it starts with disciples being in the world. And, and honestly, when we're actively engaged in the world and we're really faithfully sharing and looking for opportunities, you know what? When we come back together, what we talk about in prayer meetings and stuff like that starts to be a lot about, hey, pray for so-and-so. I got to share the gospel with them. Or, or, hey, somebody, this guy came to know Christ and the church begins to grow. The conversations in our churches are about reaching the world for the glory of Christ. That's part of God's plan. But that's just step one of the Great Commission, right? First, you have to have disciples who are then faithfully proclaiming the gospel. But you guys, as those people come to know the gospel and they respond to the gospel and become Christians, then they need to be taught how to be obedient, right? In the Great Commission, it, it talks about how they're going to be obeying baptism. You guys, you understand in most cultures, or I say, should say many cultures, when a person is baptized identifying with Christ, they no longer have a family, and they may not have their life. Our culture is pretty soft. You know, it's, sometimes we think persecution is when somebody doesn't listen to us or is just mean. But that's not true in a lot of cultures. So, so now we want to teach them to be obedient. They follow the Lord in baptism, and then it says we need to teach them what? All the things that God has commanded. That's the ministry of the church. So you bring them into the church. They can follow your pattern of life because you're setting a good example. You love the church. Why do you love the church? Because Christ loved the church. Christ loves the church. I was talking to a man at my house. He'd, he'd come up to pick something up. I didn't know him. And he got up talking about Christ, talking about being a Christian, talking about being a Christian. And he, we went on and on. And finally, I said, where do you go to church? He said, well, I don't. I said, well, I thought you said you were a Christian. He said, I am. Well, then where do you go to church? I don't. He said, that makes no sense. See, if you're a Christian, you love the things that God loves, and you hate the things that God hates, you don't pick and choose. And for true believers, disciples, we love the church. Read Ephesians 5. Christ died for the church. 
We love the church, you guys. And so now we want to get those new believers into the church because we want them to obey in baptism. And then we want them to begin to grow in their faith. And so you have men, elders who are here who are teaching and others who are teaching and investing in their lives so that they're learning all that God has commanded. And why are we doing that? So that now they can begin to use the gifts that God gave to them when they were saved in the ministry of the church. So the church begins to grow. Leadership begins to grow. And, and you know, just a, just a quick reminder here about elders in your church. You know that the elders have qualifications that they have to meet to be elders. You know that? Okay, First Timothy 3, Titus 1. You know why they have to meet those qualifications? It's so that you can follow their example. Elder qualifications are Christian qualifications, you guys. They're setting the example so that you can follow them. Now we bring new believers in and they see the leadership and they're being taught and they're growing and they're learning to serve. You know what's interesting? When we think about this progression to the Great Commission is that in Ephesians 4, we're told that the leaders of the church are to equip the saints for the work of ministry. Okay, now you got to think with me here for a second. We're supposed to equip the saints for the work of ministry. You may not be aware of this, but in the evangelical church in America, there are very few churches, actually, that have any clear process to train men to be elders. And most evangelical churches never train a man to be a pastor and never train a man or a woman to be a missionary. I'm not saying they don't send them because y'all are a missions church. You're a missions church. It's good. But most churches don't have any clear path to train. And we've gotten into the habit where we just send people away, send them to school. I'm not anti-education. I'm not anti-seminary. I am anti the church not being primarily responsible to train the saints in the context of the church. Because when you look at the Great Commission in the book of Acts fulfilled, you know what you see? First of all, you see a whole bunch of evangelism, don't you? You guys, you realize in Christ's life, there was very little response to Christ. And most of it was negative. But after the resurrection, the response to the gospel was amazing. Thousands of people came to believe. Read the, the, the book of Acts. Thousands came to believe. And you know, it was really bewildering. You know why? Because the religious leaders looked at the disciples, and you know how they described them? Uneducated and untrained men. Were they educated? Yep. Were they trained? Yep, by the master. But they weren't trained according to the standards of the day. And that's why it was really bewildering to them. But they were trained and they served. And you guys, as you follow the book of Acts, you're going to learn right away, did the disciples suffer? Yeah. They, they suffered a lot. In fact, they would go out and get beat up. Get beat up. And they'd be singing, glorying in the fact that they identified with their Lord. So were they trying to avoid suffering? Nope. Looking for a comfortable life? Nope. They were looking to be faithful. You know, it's interesting is the church grew in the book of Acts. So the great commission is being fulfilled. Thousands of people are coming to know the Lord. 
You know that the disciples were constantly training them to be leaders because that's the role of the church, right? The Great Commission, teaching them all that God commanded. So when you look at Paul, he's always got guys with him. When you look at Barnabas, he has guys with him. You see the benefit of Timothy. And then tonight we'll talk about Timothy being instructed to teach faithful men who will be able to teach faithful other generational teaching. But you guys, the leaders in the church were always training others for leadership, equipping the saints for the work of service. And so while on one hand, the Great Commission begins with disciples out there sharing the gospel, on the other hand, it's a church that is committed to training the saints for the work of service. And you guys, I'm telling you, this is a unique church here. I mean, yesterday we had a breakfast. There was like 45 men there who were already out last weekend and came out to have three more lessons. To have that many men committed to biblical truth. And you guys, I'm telling you, I think that we've gotten way too soft on theology in the scriptures. I think we have to be serious about studying, serious about knowing. We need to know how to defend our faith. We need to know why I believe the Trinity. We need to be able to defend the cardinal doctrines of the faith. And that's part of a, a teaching and training church. Because as you do those things, then you're going to be able to have unbelievers come and hear the gospel, respond to the gospel, be trained in the gospel, trained in the Christian life. And then you're going to take people all the way from that part to being trained, equipped to be leaders in the church, men and women to be leaders in appropriate areas, men to become elders. And you're going to train people that you're going to send out that you train. You can use other resources. Don't send them away. Train them. You know how cool it is when you have some kid come at the youth group and he says, I think God's calling me to ministry. And you get to watch his life over the years as he's equipped. And then you send them out. Most churches never do that anymore. That's the Great Commission. See, the result was that they start planting churches around the world. And you know what? It used to be that we were focused on planting churches around the world, which is a need, still a huge need. But you know how many towns around you guys have no gospel-centered church? I mean, we hear people going into cities saying they can't find a sound Bible-teaching church in the United States. Is that not sad? And so... So I'll tell you my heart. We need churches where people who call themselves believers are real believers. Truly disciples. They get, follow me. They get, it's not going to be easy. They get that God will often take us down hard roads to accomplish his purposes. In fact, the apostle Paul, you know, he said he... He, he, and he said, I am willing to endure anything for the sake of those who are chosen. That is, that they might come to Christ. In other words, Paul was saying, I'm willing to endure any circumstance of life if that would help one other person come to faith. So the true disciples are not looking to avoid that. I'm not saying bring on the worst circumstances of all. I'm saying a willingness to say, God, I trust that whatever road you take me down, you will provide opportunities for the gospel. God, please give me the courage to make the most of those opportunities. We need churches that have hearts for the lost. 
you know, where it's common to hear people talking about sharing their faith. It's common to be throwing out names that we're praying for of people who need to respond to the gospel. That's the heartbeat of the prayer life of the church. We need churches that, that have leadership committed to training. And I, I know that's the heart here. Leaders who desire to help you become all you can become in Christ, to help you to grow practically, to help you to grow theologically. You know, we need young men to begin training now to one day become the elders of our churches and the pastors and the missionaries. We need young ladies to be theologically sound, to understand doctrine, because we're going to need you as you grow to disciple other ladies in the faith. The church is in desperate condition. It's in desperate condition. The majority of churches that you would walk in today do not even have a sound gospel. You guys, to see this church out here in this part of Kansas and the opportunity you have for ministry, I'm telling you, in my mind, there's no doubt as you start training that you could put a pastor out in this little community and that little community and around here and around the world. It's my belief that big churches and seminaries will never be able to train enough guys for the needs that we have in ministry in the churches. But if every small to medium-sized church was committed to training and investing, equipping the saints for the work of service, we'd have plenty of people. We'd have plenty. But you guys, here's the thing. takes everybody. That is everybody who's a disciple. It takes everybody. So you can't say, well, that's just not my thing. No, no, no. If you're a disciple of Christ, you're as responsible as I am to engage with people and talk and seek opportunities for the gospel. Be spiritually alert. Pray God will let you see people like he sees them. Make a difference. It takes all of the believers. It takes all of the believers to be committed to the church. That you love the church. It's Christ loved the church. The church, the church is not a convenience. There are people in a lot of countries that would give just about anything to have the privilege we have to sit in a church like this. Church is not a convenience. It's God's Christ's bride. It's an important place. And you guys, it's only as we begin with individual believers, disciples doing the work, and then being equipped in the church, and then unbelievers coming in, and the leaders training and developing leaders, both men and women, to serve the Lord well, it's only then that we're able then to impact the greater world through church planning. That's what Acts is all about, right? That's what Acts is all about. So my question is pretty simple. Are you a disciple? Are you? Because that's a big question. Are you a disciple? Because a disciple is a follower. You will be following Christ. If you're not following Christ, the very least I would say you need to get on your knees and sort some things out. Because a disciple is a follower of Christ. If you're here today as an unbeliever, you know, Jesus... He, he didn't pull any punches when it came to the gospel. If anyone will come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. He's letting you know, unbeliever, that he's made a way. 
And in this life, it's not really an easy way as far as an easy life. But it is a simple path to be forgiven for your sins. He gave his life so that you could turn from your sin and turn to him and be saved, be forgiven. And then he sets you on a course of following him. That's what this life is all about. But you guys, that song, we, you know, turn your eyes upon Jesus. You know, we anticipate that day because I'm telling you, just don't ever forget this world is not our home. This is a battleground. And the Apostle Paul, given the choice between going to heaven and staying on this earth, he said to go is to be much better, right? But you know what else he said? He said, but to remain is more important for your sake, so I will remain to do the work of God. Isn't that interesting? I think today you look around the world and you say, oh, God, come get us out of here. No mortgage, no more work, no more sin. No, 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 no. It's like, well, okay. It's going to be a glorious thing with, when we're with the Lord. But you guys, there's a lot of work that needs to be done. There's a lot of people that need to hear the gospel. And so if we, did, we could just turn the news off, because it's not really accurate anyways what's going to happen, right? Rule of thumb, always read your Bible more than you watch the news. By a long ways. Okay? And you'll be fine. You're not going to get all hung up. With, you know, the, the Lord is going to accomplish his purposes. But you guys, then we realize that as the darker it gets, the lighter, the brighter our light shines. And so don't get caught up with the world and how bad it is. Get caught up with the opportunities and how bad the world needs to hear the message we have. It'll be refreshing. Be delightful. The opportunities are immense because people are pretty scared about what's going to happen. Hope you'll be encouraged. Hope you'll serve well. I know many of you are truly disciples of Christ. Praise God. It's my desire and prayer that this church would be such a light here, a training church, a faithful church, a gospel-oriented church. And uh, be an example to so many other churches that desperately need it. Let me pray. Lord, thanks for your word. Thank you, God, that you give us clear directions. And uh, Lord, I think we would all acknowledge that it's easy for us to soften them. And we know that's not good. We know what you've done through Christ and his death and resurrection is immense to be able to give us salvation. But we know that you didn't do that just so we could have what we want. But you bought us with a price so that we would serve you well in this life. Oh, God, we're often our worst enemy. I pray that you'd help us to think right, to see right, to plan right, to pursue righteousness, to seek to be a testimony, to share the gospel, to do the things that you've called us to do. Lord, should, be there, should there be those in this congregation that have not truly come to know you? Maybe it's a facade, but they've not, never been serious about what it means to be a Christian. I just pray that you'd help them to understand that they might respond to the amazing truth of the gospel to understand that they can be forgiven, have a relationship with the living God, living through this life to faithfully serve you in anticipation of the life that will be worshiping you for all of eternity. We long for that, God, but help us to be faithful until that day. In Christ's name, amen.